you like Grant Fisher, I told him I'd give this shout out, but he just came out with a new podcast called The Half Step Pod. He's doing it with a former teammate of his, Connor Lane, and a really good listen behind the scenes action of what it's like to be a professional. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Half Step Pod. I am your co-host, Connor Lane, and across from me, as usual, just like we've been doing, Grant Fisher. Grant, how you doing, dude? Oh, I'm great, man. We're back at it. Um, I, I just got back to Portland uh, two nights ago. I haven't been back here in several months, so uh, I've been living out of suitcase for a while, but good to be back here, back in the back in the saddle and we're getting things rolling on the podcast again for the first time in several months as well. So, um, back like we never left or back admitting we did leave for a while. We know. can admit that we left. I think that yeah. people deserve, deserve that. Um, you were gallivanting through Europe. I was changing schools, starting a grad program. We had a lot of stuff on our plate. Um, and we, and we're sorry, a heartfelt <laughs> apology from me as I'm sure from you, but at the same time we are here now. And uh, and we, we'd like to give you guys some episodes, not not even not even just one episode today. We're, we're saying at least a couple here recapping, honestly, what is a remarkable season from you. I don't I don't know the exact adjective to attach to it, but one of the best seasons from an American distance runner of all time, uh, the season that you just had, including four American records. We've talked about two of those before. Uh, ghosting everyone online and so we have two more that happened and also some usas and world championships drama and excitement to get into so we wanted to treat this kind of as a broad recap of the last like six or so months which was a stellar track season uh kick it over to you for some anecdotes some cool features some stories um some things that we've talked about off air that i think would be really cool for people to hear about and uh yeah so just we're going to get into that in a second, but like Grant mentioned, uh, back online after a hiatus. Sorry about that, but uh, but we're here and, and we're kicking, I guess, season three, if you will, uh, in a way, now that you're back from Europe and, and I've got some time and, and we're making it happen. Yeah, th- these aren't very well-defined seasons, but yeah, whenever we uh, we fall off and really don't record for a while, I guess that implies end of season, really don't. not with much communication, but retroactively we will call that end of season gaps off season we can get a lot better at at the communication piece uh we're looking we're looking for maybe a third member of the crew um an intern of sorts someone to maybe hold us more accountable potentially help run our socials uh we're not going to spend some time at the beginning of the podcast talking about all that we'll do it on the back end but uh that could also be something that uh, that could definitely get us in the right space and able to do what we'd like to do uh easier without further ado though grant um, I asked you to kind of go through, you know, five or six experiences, like little things, tidbits, either pieces of races or, or warm-ups or experiences that you had in this track season and, and kind of use those as touch points to talk about some of the phenomenal accomplishments you had this year. Um, you ended up picking several things that I think mostly align with your schedule uh, of races that we have yet to cover on the podcast because we were offline for so long. Um, so this will end up being kind of a chronological recap, about eight minutes or so per little item, uh, of, of your races this summer, uh, which were multiple and really astounding, several of them for sure. So 
Uh, I'll let you get into it without further ado. I'll just kind of be here to bounce off of you and uh, ask you some questions. But I think that the first one that kind of we stopped at was that USA Championship 5K, right? Uh, qualifying for, for Worlds for 2022. So kind of take it from there. Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, I'll try not to ramble too hard here because, yeah, we have a lot of things to hit. And, yeah, this isn't like a, a episode where we want to just talk about one thing. We kind of want to give a big overview. Maybe later we'll dive more deeply into one of these pieces, but just a, a general overview. Um, so, yeah, let's go chronologically. Um, so the last time that we spoke on on record was, I think, right before the USA 10K. I don't think we, we spoke after that because... Um, I think I was pretty I was pretty pissed after that race uh, myself, so I didn't really want to go on a podcast and talk about how pissed I was. So um, that was our, our last talking point. Um, so Should we mentioned so going, the 10K. You qualified yeah, for the team, but lost yeah, the yeah. race overall to Joe Klecker. Yeah, yeah. Going back, yeah, to to fill people in. Um, yeah, went into the USA 10K Championship. Uh, this was the first year they were separate from actual USA's and. Um, the, the race was in Eugene, uh, and I felt like I was in really good fitness and uh, had a chance to win. And I, I don't think I, I ran particularly smart or well. And Joe Klecker ran a fantastic race and uh, outkicked me in the, the final steps and uh, settled for second. So um, I was pretty annoyed with myself. I didn't feel like I played to my strengths very well and um, didn't really give myself the, the correct shot to win the race. Um, and again, Joe, Joe ran a great race. It's, um, he deserved that win. So, um, after that I was, uh, a bit of, bit of, <laughs> I was still like, um, like I would have thought about the 5k and like been very focused on it regardless, but I got really dialed after that 10k and, um, was, was kind of grinding really hard and hitting these workouts really, really hard. Cause, uh, I wanted some redemption. I wanted to prove to myself that I could win a U.S. title. And um, so I, I was speaking with Evan about kind of my frustration. Evan Jager, one of my teammates, uh, before the race. Um, he's a multiple-time U.S. champion in the steeplechase, uh, been on the world scene forever, and a very good friend and mentor of mine. And he was like, look, man, you made a mistake in the 10K by leaving it down to a kick. Your strength right now is to do... Uh, similar what you did indoors at BU in the 5K and take things from like a mile to 1200 out and just squeeze people down and, and make them hurt. So um, his advice was to take it with 1200 to go, hit a really hard lap and get people to question things and then hit it even harder with 800 to go and really smash that, that lap with 800 to go. Um, he thought that would kind of break the spirits of everybody. Uh, and that's what we did. Um, Evan uh, actually helped pace the race. He had uh, just made the team in the steeplechase, uh, I think the day before, and graciously came back and like went to the front and made the race fast. And with 1,200 to go, I just heard Evan in my ear saying, like, make him hurt. And so I think with 1,200 to go, I ran a 59. And then with 800 to go, uh, Evan was on the infield screaming at me. Uh, so I smashed a, a 58. Uh, for my second to last lap. And then I, that last lap, I was pretty tired. I, I think I probably ran like a 59 or 60, um, kind of went a little too hard probably, but, um, man, that feeling of looking up at the jumbotron and seeing just nobody in sight and like feeling that sense of redemption in myself. Like I, 
I, I was very frustrated and wanted to to make a change and and put my best self out there on the line. And uh, I felt like that's what I did. So um, that that was a big moment for me. Like, you know, this season had a lot of highlights in t- in terms of times, um, but I, that that may come as a surprise to to you or or anyone else listening. But one of my proudest moments was that that USA 5k winning that title and doing it in a, a, a dominating fashion. Like I wanted to, to crush that field and um, you know, anger and frustration can be a very effective motivator short term. Uh, it, it's not very good long term, but um, I was trying to harness that in the short term and um, it, it felt good. It felt like I proved to myself that, that I was the runner that I thought I was. I think a lot of people would be surprised to actually realize that you hadn't won a senior U.S. title on the track uh, yeah. before that yeah. one. I remember, I remember just even though I've obviously followed your career very closely, kind of being like, wait, he actually hadn't won one just because you obviously made the team in multiple events the previous year in Tokyo. And, you know, there was a COVID year where nothing really happened. Um, but, yeah, a monkey off your back in a, in a big way, I feel like, in that 5K. Uh for sure it was it was it was a ridiculous kind of squeezing of the pace as well it's a championship style as that was definitely a race i think people looking around watching you close that last 1200 sub three were were probably looking at worlds and maybe kind of looking at you in a different position for the medals after uh after that progression from tokyo last year and through uh through the u.s trial so you knock out the u.s 5k and then there's what about three weeks a month until the world championships back in eugene yeah, yeah, really what did you not do that in between, time. and then and then you start with the 10k at Worlds. So yeah, in between we we go back up to Park City, Utah, where we'd been training at altitude, um, get in a few more quality sessions. There there really wasn't much time between USA's and Worlds this year, um, so there wasn't a ton of time to like build a ton of fitness, um, and there was a huge convenience factor of being in Eugene for USA's. Uh, Get, just getting to know all the facilities, uh, all the protocol, all that. Um, and then having short travel to altitude and short travel back. Um, I, I think that was a, a very big advantage. Um, so, yeah, train, trained a bit with my teammates that it had made worlds as well. Um, always nice to have people there with you um, and not kind of feel like you're all alone all of a sudden going into championship stuff. So, um, yeah, got in some good training and then... Um, yeah, the next big test was the the World Championship 10K. And yeah, all right, well, I mean, let's, I mean, let's move on to there. anecdote two, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, take us there. So anecdote two, um, I thought I ran the race as well as I could have. Um, the the pace was semi fast. It was kind of back and forth. Um, thought I conserved good energy and ran the race smart and didn't fight too many battles, which is um, kind of a very common strategy in the 10k just it's a long way to go so keep your cool and, and don't do anything stupid and um yeah i, I really thought i did like 99.9 percent of that right um and uh just came into that final hundred and uh i think i might have spotted some guys a little too much ground but um that i mean i gave everything i had in that final lap and I could just see the medals just right in front of me. I could see one, two, three going into that final hundred and was kicking with everything I had and, you know, ended up in, in fourth. Um, the, the wooden medal as a lot of people say, uh, so just out of the medals, they give you like a little 
metaphorical wooden metal because it's like you're so close to to getting the hardware um but you kind of get this consolation prize um so yeah i mean i i had I, I was elated to get fourth i mean fourth in the world in something is like a crazy crazy feeling especially in a sport like running where you know you, you genuinely feel like anyone in the world could try their hand at this there's not many barriers to entry and um to be fourth in in a planet of so many so many people so many talented disciplined people it's um it's a really cool feeling and to race in the u.s and hear people chanting through the stadium like doing the classic like usa usa like it, it was fun um and I, always an honor to represent your country but um you know when you see like your goal right in front of you like in a tangible way and you you just have like a first person view of it slipping away it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't sit great. Um, so I had mixed feelings after that one. Um, and I, I really wanted to, again, I guess, redeem myself in the 5k, uh, which was, I think five days later. You, you were fourth in that race just for posterity's sake by like less than two tenths of a second to third and less than a full second away from the win in Sheptegai, right? You're less than two tenths away from Kaplimo for a medal. And up until the last 30 or 40 meters of that race, it's not, a given that you're not going to catch one of them and get that medal that you know and even coming one year off of tokyo where you were where you were fifth um that 10k a championship style 10k felt like a big culminating piece of you being on top of what it takes to run a championship world-class 10k and actually still be there kicking with 200 300 to go because even in tokyo i feel like the progression year to year was in tokyo you were able to kind of kick off that back of that lead group and and be kind of just back but in the mix and running ridiculously well but versus this year it really you were kicking with them like on stride with them looking for a medal as well did you maybe not even in the moment but did you appreciate that difference uh post-race yeah yeah I, i did appreciate that difference that was a big step for me um you know, my previous time at a championship race was the Olympics, uh, the previous year. And, um, my Olympic strategy in both the five and 10 K was basically survive as long as you can and pick up any stragglers that blow up. Like there was, there was no strategy of like, how do I get a medal? Um, it was like, these guys are really, really good and I need to have an excellent day. And, Uh, I just need to survive these blows that they're going to give at the front. So um, that was my Olympic strategy. And so going into uh, the world championships, my confidence and my mindset was in a different place. I, I I no longer saw a lot of those guys as like a step above me. Like I knew I could race with them. I, I knew they couldn't run away from me if it was a fast pace. And um, I wanted to be there when the kicking started to, to go win a medal. Um, and that was my, my goal was to go win a medal. And, um, yeah, I mean, I would say in, in Tokyo, I was safely out of medal contention, uh, probably with a lap to go. I was kind of a little, a great little fifth bit, place finish, but probably yeah. Dangling off the back a little bit. Like it was a pretty, pretty safe to say I was out of the medals with a lap to go. Um, you know, in, in Eugene at the world championships, I mean, you, even with 50 to go, like you said, like there were four of us, actually, there were five of us right there. there five. Um, and, you know, you never know what's going to happen over that final 50. Some guys might tie up, um, some guys might accelerate, whatever, and uh, managed to get one person and slide on into fourth. But, um, 
you know, I, I wasn't out of metal contention until I had a couple steps to go technically. Like, so I'm getting closer and you know, that, that was a, a nice like feeling of progress and stuff. But man, when you see it, like I said, right in front of you like that, and you, you can count just like, all right, there's gold, silver, bronze, One. and then me. And it's yeah. like, oh man, it, it can be a little deflating. Um, even though you're like ecstatic at the, the prospect of fourth, you know, um, it's just the convention is to only give medals emotions. to the top three. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I guess way back, like whenever anyone just determined like the medal positions, like what if they just had like a, a, a fourth medal in fourth, like it's just convention. I, I don't know why we take, we pick, pick three, <laughs> but <laughs> this, is, this is a fair argument to ask. I mean, this, this could, this could very much change things. You, there, you there has to be some historical reason why it's three, but um, regardless, it's three we'll and I wasn't in the top three. So, no no medal for me um so that that was some motivation going into the 5k um had like four or five days to recover try to get the legs back because you're you're pretty beat up from these races um and so i i felt pretty beat up until like the day before the 5k i could feel my legs coming back around so um it, it was good timing that, that my legs came around just in time i think um but yeah th- those days leading up you're like man i, I I got a race in two days against the best guys in the world and my legs feel like shit. So, uh, they come around quickly though. Again, to, to draw a quick contrast though, they might've felt bad, but last year in Tokyo, lining up for your 5k, you had such a bad calf issue that you almost didn't run entirely. You know, you're on the table 10 minutes before the event starts versus this year, you might've felt pretty beat up, but all in all, you're in one piece. It's another year of strength under your belt. And, you were still ready to go. It seemed like going into the five. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think the year of training allowed me to recover better too. Um, regardless of like physically, if my calf was healthy or not, like just in general, I, I felt like I recovered a lot better um, because of all. Plus, that I heard there was air conditioning in the American <laughs> in the American dorms. Right. Yeah. So else. So, so Team USA damage. got yeah got that really nice treatment. Yeah, we. We stayed in a hotel. All the other teams stayed in a dorm, so we got AC. Um, it wasn't super, super hot in Eugene, but it was still warm. It was like 85 every day. So, you know, in a dorm when it's 85, like, that's not ideal, but got to give a little no, home I, field advantage, uh, help the home team out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you're not going to get that in Hungary. You're not going to get it in Paris. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you got to take it while you got it. Yeah, 100%. All right, but the, so moving into anecdote number three right the 5k i assume you meant the 5k final when we talked about this sure yeah, yeah. Um, offline so talk to me a little bit about that race that one is one that people might recognize as a race where uh you were more than in position with 100 150 to go um and then there was a little bit of i guess clipping uh just definitely like a tight tight race there in that last hundred that saw you kind of falter out of metal position or kicking position and uh, just bit narrowly missed out on it again. So kind of talk us through, I guess, your viewpoint and thought process of that race. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, the 5k final. um, Yeah, like I mentioned, you know, the 10k, I was so close to my goal that in the 5k, I was like, all right, I the goal remains, I, I want a medal. And this is a golden opportunity to try. Um, it's a, a final on home soil. Uh, I know this track. I know this facility. I have my friends and family here. My training's been great. Um, 
I, I, I'm going to give it as best a shot as I can. So the, the race strategy essentially was to get up near the front, stay out of all the, the fracas that happens in the pack. Um, we've discussed this before, but sometimes in the pack there, there's a lot of churn and turnover and you got to make a lot of moves and fight off a lot of people. But when you're near the front, um, you know, you can relax a little bit more and just kind of lock in. Um, and so in that race with, um, maybe can't remember, maybe three, four laps to go, uh, Jakob Ingebrigtsen went to the front and started squeezing things down a little bit. And that was perfect because, um, a strategy that I'd tossed around in my head before the race was to do exactly that, to go to the front with two, three laps to go and try to squeeze it, uh, similar to what I did at the US 5k. Um, obviously these guys are a much higher caliber of competition. You're dealing with world record holders, reigning gold medalists, all kinds of people in this race. So, um, Jakob kind of did that strategy for me, which was nice. Um, and so that, that really strung people out a little bit. And, um, yeah, I wanted to be in good position with 800 to go and good position with 400 to go, 300, 200. And, um, I think I was third coming into that final 200 and was in a great spot. And this is another example of like, you can do 99% of the things right, but 1% wrong at the wrong time, uh, costs you. Um, and I was in good position in terms of like place but I wasn't in good position in terms of body position. Um, there's, I guess to describe, cause I, we don't have the race pulled up right now. Um, I was in third place and I was on the rail and the guy in front of me was also on the rail and coming into like 150 to go, he kind of slid out a little bit. Um, a lot of people naturally do that on the, the final straight kind of drift out a little bit, whether purposeful or unpurposeful, like, I don't know, your body just kind of naturally does that, especially when you're tying up and tired. And when he started to move out a little bit, I kind of crept on the inside because he had kind of slowed down a little and I didn't want to chop my stride. So I kind of just tucked inside for, I don't know, maybe like three, four steps. And at the end of those three, four steps, uh, I wasn't directly behind him anymore. I was more staggered a little bit um, on his inside shoulder. And with maybe 120 meters to go, he stepped back inside. And my options at that point, I, I probably had like uh, three tenths of a second to make this decision. I either had to step inside to avoid contact. I either had to stand my ground and we clip into each other or we bump into each other um, and we both potentially go down or I step on the rail and potentially trip or I try to slow down and then go around. So in my, uh, in my half a second of decision time, things are moving quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I slow down. I chop my steps up and in doing so kind of lose my balance. Uh, in the video, it kind of looks like I hit the rail, but I didn't hit the rail. Um, and then try to go around his outside. But at that point I stumbled and like, it's so hard to gain your momentum again. Um, after like really losing it like that, especially when you're at your most tired point in the race. So um, it, it also kind of looks in the video like Mo, uh, one of my teammates that was directly behind me kind of clips me, but uh, he didn't clip me either. It was like, I didn't touch a single person. Um, it was to avoid contact with, with Crop, who was right in front of me. And, you know, him moving in and out, like there's nothing illegal about that. 
uh, I just made a bad decision. When when he drifted inside, I shouldn't have taken that extra step uh, on his inside. Uh, I should have been outside. And uh, that lesson will stick with me forever because I was, I mean, who knows what it would have happened. Like I was in third place. I thought I still had another gear and I stumbled and I looked up and all of a sudden I was in eighth. And it's like, dude, another sinking feeling. You know, you see your goal, you, you finally put yourself in position to, to bring that goal to, to reality. And uh, you make a mistake and you stumble. And um, I, I cost myself the opportunity to medal. I, I won't say I cost myself a medal, but I cost myself a, a great opportunity to medal. And um, yeah, that was a bummer. Um, it, 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 again, like, you know, you're, you're the top few guys in the world and that's a great feeling and, and it's really special. And I know that even a year ago, I would have dreamed to be in that position. Um, but, you know, in the moment it stings. I'll say that you would have meddled. I'm a fan. <laughs> I can say that. I'm not you. No one, no one cares. I'll, I'll say that it was going to happen. Um, that was brutal to watch as your friend. I'm sure it was brutal to experience uh, in the moment too if you could even grasp kind of that significance in the moment. Uh, I was also going to say, although it didn't really feel like the right vibe that, you know what it is to step and trip on the rail. Like, so you, you knew you didn't <laughs> yeah, touch true. Yeah. Rail, I've done that before, <laughs> which is a deep cut uh, for anyone who's been a fan of Grant since high school. But yeah, I mean, just, I thought you got clipped multiple times. Like, I couldn't even tell from which way, but it certainly looked like that. So it's interesting to hear the perspective and, it's obviously been a couple months on. I don't know. I mean, maybe you would have been just as measured about it the next day as you are a couple months on later. Um, and I can also say the boring thing, which is the true thing, but often some of the truths in this sport are relatively boring, which is like, yeah, you also, when you talk about this 99% going right can still fail, certainly. But again, this is another example of you being in a race where you wouldn't have been in that race a year ago even, you know? especially doubling off of that really hard 10k so those are all great signs and things and if you keep putting yourself at the front of the line then at a certain point it's going to come to you and i I know you know that at the same time like legacies in this sport are often decided by very thin very thin margins and by what you do when and where and arbitrary stuff like that can can end up having a big impact so it's 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 totally it was a brutal brutal ending to a great championships in a way um definitely felt like you walked out of there with one or even like 1.5 medals and like the expected medals (laughs) uh tally based on how the races went and it just did not break your way but uh i'm assuming that that you know it means it's going to break your way at some point moving forward but uh i also will say that and i I i would love to hear your perspective on this but you know after tokyo which was in august you kind of shut your season down uh, you did not shut your season down after after the World Five. Was that even a thought? And then I feel like this this kind of all led into the European swing of your season, half starting kind of August, which uh, was pretty good and in a lot of ways redemptive of bar- barely missing out on a medal at Worlds. So kind of talk me through the quickly the the brief decision to to do Europe and and to get these opportunities you know, to run in those races like in Monaco, like we'll talk about next, and uh, if you were kind of holding on to any of that closeness to a medal I'm, I'm pissed off i'm gonna keep going or what your where your head was at yeah 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 great point um yeah i mean the so essentially in my eyes like in the 10k at worlds I, I just didn't have the legs i i wasn't able to kick with those guys and i got fourth uh 
in the 5k, um, I felt like I did have the legs and I, I made an error and it cost me. Um, so, uh, there was some frustration again. Um, I mean, like you said, you know, you look at the year before I was fifth in the Olympics, uh, in the 10 K and then I was, um, ninth in the 5k. And then the next year I'm fourth and six and disappointed. Um, so it, it kind of shows like a mindset sh- set shift. Um, you know, I, I still, I think I'm able to appreciate like how, um, how special those things are and how many things had to go right to even get me to, to the starting line. Um, this isn't like a one man show. I have great coaches and teammates and, uh, a great PT and, you know, a lot of people that, you know, even my friends, they, they play a big factor in, you know, keeping morale up and, you know, talking me through things in, in general life. So, um, all those things are important and, you know, the, to, to feel kind of an outpouring of support, um, from my friends and family, from fans, like after a performance that I was disappointed with, uh, it does help you come back to reality and kind of be like, all right, that, that was, that was still very good. Um, you know, in the end it was, uh, coming up short of my goal, but, uh, 99% of what I did led me to almost getting the goal. It was just a 1% error, uh, that can be changed and can be learned from. Um, so like you said, yeah. So leaving the championships, um, I was itching to race again, uh, because I knew I was in good shape and, uh, I really wanted redemption against those guys that just beat me. And, uh, the next big race was Monaco, uh, 3k, uh, which, you know, on paper it might be a little out of my real wheelhouse. Um, but you know, right after, um, right after racing the, the 5k and kind of walking away from USA's, uh, I was thinking to myself like, all right, like I'm going to get after it in Europe and I'm going to beat all these guys that just beat me. Uh, obviously it means less to do it at a diamond league meet than a world championship, but, uh, like I'm going to take it to these guys. So, uh, the next big opportunity was Monaco, uh, 3k, a race that I've watched since I was a kid. I dreamed about going to that track and racing. Although usually I would think of a 1500, uh, on that track and not a 3k, uh, this year they had a 3k, which was actually perfect for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, a lot of anticipation going into that one and, I was speaking with the meet director a uh, day or two before the race and he asked me, uh, you know, we've got these rabbits and, and pace lights and stuff. What, what pace are you requesting? And I said, American record pace, which is uh, 729 flat, 0.00. Uh, Bernard Lagat had it. And uh, he was like, all right, I, I guess we're getting after it. And uh, someone else in the race, Eric Gawe, had requested world record pace. Uh, which is 7.20. He was requesting about like 7.18, 7.19 pace, 7.19 pace. Um, that was something I wasn't interested in at all. That was well out of my wheelhouse. That's one of the hardest records in the book, Daniel Komen, 7.20. That one I feel like will stand for a very long time. Um, and so that, that was another race where like I, I wanted to, to show myself that I could beat these guys. Like I felt like I could, I felt like I could hang with them. But, you know, until you do these things, it's just thoughts. Um, so I was very motivated going into that race. And, um, yeah, I got on it. And, you know, those guys went out hard that were chasing the world record. And um, 
I stuck to my race plan, which was to try to run the American record and uh, squeezed it down. And uh, man, I was fighting for a while. Those, those last like few laps, you know, when you, you come through the, the 1600 and I look up and it says 358 and you're like, it's faster than your mile PR. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, shit, like I got to do that again. Like it, it's a long way to go. Um, so that was a battle, man. That was a hard, hard race. And barely dipped under the record um that environment was so fun and man i was ecstatic um that one just felt so good like 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 inside me you know um just like (laughs) it it was a a great great feeling such a a cool place to visit in monaco um a, a historic track where people run really fast um and just a fantastic meet to be a part of so um yeah, that, that felt good, you know, because the fire was running hot uh, right after Worlds. Um, whereas after the Olympics the previous year, I was so ecstatic from the Olympics. Like, I was so happy I got fifth and ninth. I was like, I had burned so much emotional energy and so much physical energy that I was pretty much toast, like, after. And I didn't really feel, like, a huge desire to, like, go to Europe and smash a bunch of races. Um, whereas this year, the the disappointment from Worlds almost gave me a second wind in my season to just like get after it again. Um, so motivation was high. Let's emphasize that you ran 728.48. So dipping under to 729. Uh, you were third in that race too, right? I yeah, don't want to mix them all up. Yep. Third in, third in the race overall. So you definitely caught a couple of those bodies coming back to you um, in the late stages. And I, at the college level, we talk a lot about like those sub eight three Ks kind of like feeling ridiculous in your head. You've, you've got to run 63 pace, something, you know, 62 points, 63 for more than a mile for almost double a mile. And it feels kind of absurd. And I think what you mean when you mentioned that Komen 720 standing for a while is that that pace for that duration is such a weird mixture, even compared to the 5k or 10k uh, or the 15 on the other spec- side of that spectrum. Where, you know, 728, people can do the math on that. That would be a sub-8, 3,200. Maybe just over 8 for 2 miles. Um, which yeah, would it's be a, four, a bit over 8 for again. 2 miles. Yeah. Like, yeah, I guess, so it's interesting to hear you talk about how that felt in your head. And then obviously post, having done it. But do you, obviously your, your times have gotten quite ridiculous, uh, would be a formal way of saying it. When you think about the 3K, like, does that make sense to you? in your head like coming through sub four and then like continuing the press <laughs> i know that you've closed a lot of these 5ks in sub four I, I understand it's not that huge maybe barrier in your head at this point but does that you know you're halfway through the race you're coming through sub four pace i know that you're fit <laughs> but still is there something to that yeah there's something to it um you know the the race that world record or sorry american record pace is sub 60 average every lap so when you think about it that way, it sounds like there's no way I'll ever be able to do that. That sounds absolutely absurd. Um, but also in my mind, I was like, my my PR going in was um, 737. And I felt like that was a very outdated PR. I closed the indoor 5K I did at BU at, in 739. Um, and that was after running a hard 2K before that. And um, I felt like I was in good very good shape. And when you're in an environment like that, my attitude was like, I'm going to go for the American record. I'm not going to try to go and run 732 
and maybe try to kick off of it. Like I came all the way out here. I want some redemption, maybe a consolation prize in some regard. Like I want the American record. I don't want to just PR here. And if I go for the American record, which is a pace that I've never done before, not even close, and I blow up, then so be it. Uh, like I've, I've put the work in, I know I'm fit and I, these are uncharted waters. I, I've never gone out in a three K sub four, um, and had to run another three and a half laps. Like I've never done that before. So it wasn't like I've done something similar and had something to draw upon. It was just kind of like, all right, let's, let's just kind of get after it. Let's send it here and see what happens. And, um, yeah, th- those lights were actually very helpful because they passed me with like 1200 to go. Um, and sorry, the, the, so in the discussions with the, the meet director, the, the lights actually got set to 728 flat pace. So I knew if I was in within a second of those lights, that would mean I have the American record and they passed me up with like 1200 to go. And I'm very tired, um, essentially running by myself because the whole field has, has completely makes sense. You're tired. <laughs> yeah the field the field is kind of falling apart so we're all everyone's just kind of running by themselves like in no man's land and the lights blow by me and i see them getting further away and further away and like it, in my head it was like man it's decision time like what are we going to do here are we going to buckle down and go for this thing or are we going to concede and probably run like 732 like if you just kind of keep keep falling apart here uh, which is a great time, but that's not what I really came there for. So, um, yeah, buckled down and like, really, I only caught up to those lights in that final, like 200 meters. And I was just dead focused on them, just like in a trance, just so focused on those lights, get within a second of those lights and, and you have it. And yeah, I made it there. couple things. Bernard Lagat didn't have the lights when he ran 729. So True. that could potentially be True. lost in the equation. And didn't, he no, didn't but, have the shoes but, either. <laughs> Yeah, oh god and the shoes yeah we yeah. haven't even spoken about which that. both make make a difference like I, I i'm not in denial about either of those things those things are very helpful no yeah we shouldn't be so crass with it like there is yeah. I'm sure, <laughs> some advantage to be gained there but at the same time it's still you know it's still the ar um it's still legally the ar and, and not just like legally it still very much is my second thing is that i remember watching elise in the 10k where she was mostly solo for that um the u.s number two mark all time uh the same race that you ran the ar in the 10k this winter and i think there's something to those lights being even splits right because because yep. i feel like every you know all of the elite runners who get in those situations and they see the lights anywhere near them at 400 to go are then able to kick in such a way where if those lights were paced the way that top runners run track races it would be maybe a little bit more disorienting but the fact yeah. that they're very even splits i think often can help in that situation too right because you're you know, you're kicking off it, you know, your final gear might allow you to accelerate and catch back up to them. It's just an interesting thought. And with the lights being there, yeah, it definitely helped pull you all the way through, but a sick, sick, sick finish. Yeah. The lights can be very helpful. They can also be very demoralizing if you see them pull away. (laughs) Um, it, it can be really, really sad, but you know, one of the things they are so useful for is a lot of times in races, like when you're three quarters of the way through, you just kind of lag a little bit. Like, you're, cause I think it's because you're thinking of the final lap or the final push and you're already really tired. And, um, a lot of times like those, 
like in, in a mile or 1500, like the third lap kind of lags a lot. Um, in a 5k, sometimes like with a mile to go, things kind of lag. Um, and in this 3k, yeah, with like 1200 to go, the, that's when the lights really pulled away from me. And like that lag, um, it's almost unnoticeable if you don't have something tangible to like base it off of. So when I started lagging and the, the lights kind of started pulling away from me, it was an immediate feedback of like, Hey man, you're, you're going backwards here. Um, like you're not keeping the pace you were. Whereas I think without those lights, I, I might've just lagged a little, maybe just for a little bit longer before I really realized like, Hey man, like you got to buckle down. Like maybe I wouldn't have realized till I came around with 800 to go and I saw the clock and it was a little more out of reach than I, I would have hoped. Um, so in a lot of ways, those things, those lights are helpful. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't think about it all the way through. Yeah. Um, finish Monaco, take me to Brussels, or at least take me to kind of this experience, which, you know, I guess spoiler alert, but becomes your primary shot at the Ameri- open American record in the 5k, right? We got indoor earlier this year. Now moving into Brussels, um, talk to me about kind of that setup and I guess your anecdote from, from that race in Belgium. Yeah, sure. Um, so the Monaco 3k was, uh, August 10th and the, uh, Brussels Diamond League 5k wasn't till September 2nd. So I had about 20 days between, uh, races. So we went to, uh, London to West London to, uh, Richmond, Teddington area. If anyone knows London, Twickenham, uh, we trained at St. Mary's college. Um, and, uh, there was a workout I did, uh, maybe, 10 days out, maybe a week out. Um, I was hoping to run a 1500 somewhere, uh, but there just weren't many on the schedule because of Europeans and Commonwealths being at that same time. And um, I had a hard 1200 in a workout. Uh, Amos Bartelsmeyer, one of my teammates, was out there. And uh, our our assistant coach, uh, Pascal, had a little bike that he rented, like one of those fold-up bikes, like with the tiny wheels. And uh, mm-hmm. it was a little windy that day, and... I asked Amos if he'd be willing to pace me on the bike on the track, which I've never had someone bike pace me on the track. It's very, it's very Euro, but I've never done it. Um, Britson, yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, he did a few warm up laps to hit the pace and then, uh, we, we ripped it and I ran, I think 250 flat. We went 56, 57, 55 point. All of those were points. And, uh, for a 1200 and we finished that one up and I was like, all right, man, I've still got it. Like at, at the end of the season, you never know when the wheels are going to f- fall off. Like at the end of the season, you can be like riding a high and feeling so good. And then all of a sudden you fall off the cliff and just like, you're so fatigued. You have no pace, you have no kick, nothing. And so you kind of have to be aware of those things happening. And the fact that I was able to do that, I was like, all right, the legs are still there. Um, like we're going to be able to get after it in, in Brussels. And um, to go back a little bit, uh, after USA's and, and the world 5k, I was walking around the stadium kind of, I think I was going off to see my parents and I ran into Bernard Lagat. Um, and he holds several American records. And one of them was the American 5k record. And he was like, Hey man, I know you're disappointed right now. I know you wanted more, but I want you to go after my American record in the 5k. And I was like, really you like you you want me to go after your record and he's like 
you have the legs. I, I can see that you're fit. You have, you know, a, a, a long season ahead. Like this isn't the end of your season. You can go after that record and you can break it. And I want you to, to do it. Like, will you do that for me? And I was like, wow. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> I, I, I guess I will. Um, and he's like, he's like, I don't want you to try. I want you to do it. And I was like, Hey, I, I guess, I guess you have my word. <laughs> and, um, so going into the Brussels 5k, the American record that, that Bernard had, was 1253. Um, and the race was being paced to, uh, approximately that. So I knew if I got up on these guys, um, a lot of guys that I'm now very familiar with and got after it, that, that, that record would probably come. If I was, if I'm able to race these guys and be there at the end of the race and try to win, then that record will come. And, um, yeah, that pace got squeezed very hard. We averaged just 61 point every single lap, um, which, you know, going into the race, you don't want to think about it that way because it sounds unsustainable when you think about it that way. But, um, I was locked in. The environment was incredible. They had like a 10 man drum squad on the final curve. And so the stadium was so loud. That was the best crowd I've ever been in front of. And every laugh you'd come around, you just hear these guys wailing away on the drums, just like boom, boom, boom. And like, you know, your heart is like pounding in your ears. You hear these drums, people are screaming. I think there were like 50 something thousand fans there. And, um, dude, it, it just drives you on. It feels like you're in the Coliseum or something. And, uh, yeah, um, guys kept falling off in that race one by one. And I found myself just one-on-one -on -one with, uh, with, uh, Jacob crop at the end. And, uh, he squeezed me down at the end. I didn't have the, the final gear at the end, but, um, got the American record, uh, held up my promise to Bernard. <laughs> and so it was cool. Uh, after the race, there were, there was a cool video of Bernard watching, uh, the, the meet and like cheering me on and like celebrating when I broke his record. So that was a cool kind of full circle moment. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, Bernard Lagat, one of the most decorated uh, distance runners over the past several decades. And, uh, you know, he's coaching now at Arizona, but, uh, you know, cheering on uh, a new wave of distance runners. It, it was a cool feeling. Dang, oh, good guy, Bernard Lagat, 100%. That is, that is so <laughs> cool. Making you promise that you got you to go do it. Yeah. Um, just to, we didn't say the number, so we should say the number. What was the old record? The old record was, uh, 1253.7, I think. And what did you run? 1246, uh, high. 0. 0.996. 0. Yeah. 0.96, yeah. Barely got oh. under 47, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Barely got under 47. We're talking about six seconds. Just yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that one, I don't even know about. Like the margin of separation there that you you put on the record is is also just impressive the, the, the size and scope of it. Uh, yeah, I mean that atmosphere seemed electric. Watching that video, watching guys fall off, I encourage people to look. There's like a six minute YouTube clip of it uh, from NBC Sports from when it happened about a month ago, where uh, you all can look through and kind of watch the degradation of that field in that second half and see grant kind of you also kicked never really coming up on crop but also at the same time like squeezing it down with him until that last probably like 100 200 meters it was very very 
it was very cool. And just hearing you talk about like your mentality towards some of the elite African guys who absolutely like ripped you apart, even in Tokyo, as near as Tokyo. But then looking at, you know, Eugene and your attitude towards trying to get them and then also coming over to Europe and racing them consistently and beating many of them in these races. And we'll talk about Zurich in a second, like another kind of, you know, signal of your, of your mentality shift, it seems like going into this, you know, this past season and hopefully keeping it up moving forward. Did you stop to think for a second about how good these guys are that, that you're competing with and the guys who fall off the pace with 800 to go, who are also, I mean, you're all world-class runners, but medalists, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it, it crosses your mind, but you can't dwell on it too much. Um, obviously these guys are world-class. Um, a lot of them have accomplished a lot more than me. Um, but at the end of the day, they're elite runners and, and I really believe now that I am too. And so when you line up next to them, you have to give, give respect, um, you know, respect your competitors, respect what they can do, respect their strengths and, uh, kind of know what, uh, they might do in the race. And, you know, you have to take all of their moves seriously. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to give them too much space out of, uh, I guess, fear. Um, like when uh, Borrego makes a move, uh, he's a gold medalist. You know, you have to respect it and go with it, but you don't want to be like, all right, that's Borrego. I'm going to, uh, he's, he's going to do something that I can't do. Um, so I, I genuinely have a mentality now of like, I, I there's no fear of those guys. And I, I think I've earned their respect and they have my respect too. But at the end of the day, we're trying to beat each other. And I wanted to beat everybody I could, um, in that little Euro tour I had, because, uh, you know, you want to practice doing the things that you want to do at the highest level. And so in Monaco, I was top three, the, again, medals go to the top three. So good practice of, of being top three in Brussels, I was top three again, I got second and good practice of, you know, being at the, the front of races and trying to win. Um, and then same thing in Zurich. Uh, I guess we haven't gotten there yet, but top three, like th th those are the things that I'm practicing, um, because those are the things that I want to do at the highest level, uh, at the highest stage. Um, so I I'm like, I, I can feel myself becoming the runner that I've always wanted to be. And I don't think I'm there yet, but I'm getting closer. That's, that's dope. I don't have much else to add to that, except that you had a beautiful segue into Zurich and then we kind of stretched <laughs> it out, but now we can circle around back to it. Um, when we talk about top three, uh, also I should say about Zurich is that I thought it was on a different day than it was. So almost missed it. <laughs> and then also thought it was on a normal track, uh, which it wasn't. So I'm going to, you have an anecdote from this, like I asked but I'm going to need a little bit of backstory for people who maybe didn't watch that one on where you guys are running and what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, the main like league in track, um, and you can't even think of it as, as a league in the sense that you might think of the NBA or the NFL or, uh, the premier league, uh, is called the diamond league. That's the track equivalent. Um, and it's a set of, I think 12 or so meets, throughout the calendar year. Um, and they are short form meets where they don't have every single event at every single one. Uh, so like I run the men's 5k and there might be six, uh, races a year that have the men's 5k. 
out of the 12. And so these meets, they, I think they target maybe being around two hours long uh, to try to capture more viewership and stuff. Um, and so the, the Monaco meet I did was a Diamond League meet and the Brussels meet I did was a Diamond League meet. And you get points for your place at these meets and top 10 in the standings at the end of the year get invited to the Diamond League final. And this year they were in Zurich, held over two days in, uh, in, in September. Um, and so uh, I think it was only five days after Brussels. So Brussels was on the 5th. Uh, next day I flew to Zurich and uh, Zurich was on the 7th. So I had five days between. And um, they were, they're doing this new format at the Diamond League final where they have a lot of street events. Uh, so events that are not in the stadium. So they put like men's shot put on the street uh, in like a, a, a built stadium, I guess, in uh, town square next to the opera house. Uh, same with like pole vault. Um, sometimes they'll put the jumps there. And uh, for the past two years, they've put the men's and women's 5K on a 530 meter uh, track that they build in this square. And it's not an oval. It's kind of like almost like a triangle, um, banked corners, just like uh, an indoor track. Um, but other than that, it's like track surface laid out on the cobblestones or the asphalt. And then uh, the curves are built up on wood, uh, but with rubber track surface on them. And, you know, blind corners, uh, you go on like under a, a traffic light at one point. Uh, you're literally going around the opera house at another section of it. Uh, it's kind of like a, a roller derby, um, more so than like a traditional track race. So um, uncharted territory for me. I'd never been on anything like it. And I really wanted to get out there and, and get on the track and scope it out. But they hadn't finished building the track uh, the day before the, the race. So I did pre-meet in the stadium and stuff. And I was like, all right, I, I guess I'll prepare my body for whatever. But it'd be nice to kind of feel out the curves and stuff. Um, and, uh, we get up to the meet and, uh, aren't allowed on the track yet and do our warm up in a parking garage, uh, under, <laughs> underneath everything. And then, uh, we come up and, you know, five, 10 minutes before the, the race gun goes off and I'm able to do like two strides on the curves just to feel it out and be like, oh man, like this is pretty sharp, pretty steep. Uh, this is going to feel odd. And then we get lined up and we just rip it. So there wasn't much uh, getting your feet wet. It was kind of like you just had to get out there and, and go. And uh, it was pouring rain, uh, lightning like striking mid-race. I didn't know if they were going to call the race at any point because it was like there, there was some serious lightning coming down. Um, and the pace was aggressive. They had it paced at 13 flat pace, um, which is which is very fast to begin with, let alone on a uh, temporary track in the street. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, the pace felt hot from the beginning. I felt pretty tired from that Brussels 5K still. And uh, the guys were just surging and surging and there was no consistency to it once the pacers dropped out. It was just like we would hit a curve and your your body would feel like it just got sandwiched because these curves are so like sharp. And then you'd come off of it and it felt like you were on a roller coaster and like your stomach would drop and like you'd feel your whole body compress and then you'd have to reaccelerate. And a lot of the guys I was racing were throwing in surges and 
looking around and all these moves and stuff. And man, I was, I was exhausted. Um, so I fell off pretty significantly. Yeah. If you, if you watch the race video, I think it's on YouTube. Uh, I was out of it. Like (laughs) I was so tired and like I was falling back and, um, could see all the guys passing me. And, uh, I, I felt like I, I just needed to do what I could to, to get to the finish line. Cause at that point I was like, man, these guys are, are, are just smashing it. Like, uh, I, I can't do those surges. I can't do 20 surges a race. Like that, that's not what I'm good at. Um, some people are good at that, but I'm not. And so the race kind of got away from me a little bit, but then, um, with like three laps to go on this track. Also, it was, it was impossible to tell how fast you were going because you have no uh, like markers or anything. Um, and you'd, they'd give us lap splits. And, you know, I'd come around <laughs> the lap and they'd be like, 83-4. And I'd just be like, what am I supposed oh, to do with tenth. that? They got you at the 10th. Yeah, yeah, they'd, they'd give me the 10th. It's not the just 83-8, like, yeah. 83.4. Oh, okay, and I'd just on. be like, all right, like, what is Thank you. But like that tells me nothing, um, and it was also kind of hard to figure out how f- how far into the race you were. Like, um, I, like, am I at am I a mile in? Like, it's really hard to tell. Uh, you could like look at the clock when you came around for each lap, and you'd you'd do the math and be like, okay, I'm seven and a half minutes in, so like that must mean I'm here in the race. So it, it was kind of disorienting, um, and I'm sure everybody was feeling that way too, but. Yeah, with, with like three laps to go, the guys in front of me started to really get tired. And with two laps to go, they Shocking. got even more tired. And I, I kind of started inching my way back in. And with a lap to go, I was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to get these guys. And like attached myself and started going around people and moved my way up, moved my way up. And um, with like, you, you make this hard left turn off of this bank, blind corner around the opera house. And then it's like pretty much a straightaway all the, all the way to the finish, like flat. Um, and I started going around guys and I was like, all right, you know, I, I know these guys and I know I can kick with them and I, I just need to pop outside and kind of send it up as far as I can. And yeah, I did that and you know, muscled my way to a third, um, which if you looked at if you took a snapshot of the race with like three laps to go, you'd be like, Oh yeah, this guy's for sure getting last. Like, like I, I went back and watched the race and I just like looked so tired, which I was. Um, I, I just like, yeah, it, those surges, the, the strangeness of the race just caught up to everybody. And, um, yeah, I, I managed to scrap another top, top three, um, in the diamond yeah, league final. You, and, you, like, and that throwing was throwing it away. <laughs> almost allowed you to kind of like deep like decompress your mind for, for most of that middle of that race it felt i mean not not you know you were going with what you had but you like not even really contending with those surges it feels like allowed you to have that late on ability to still press like a normal race yeah i mean i i just had no no energy like i was i was toast um and i think when i kind of got dropped a little bit those guys were doing a lot of surges among themselves so regardless of the fact that they were running faster than me, they were also like going back and forth. They were doing a lot of fart licking, like a lot of surges. So that probably tired them out as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a great end of the season. Um, 
and it and it culminated um such a dream year for me um you know going into the, this year i never would have guessed that i would run four american records that i would get fourth at the world championships and walk away disappointed um that i would get sixth and walk away disappointed um that i would come back and you know reassert myself against the best in the world and be contending uh really close to the end of races with uh, all these world-class guys and become one of the world-class guys. Um, I didn't think it would happen all this fast and this quickly. Um, and like I said, kind of probably 30 minutes ago, um, it, it makes me feel really grateful uh, because it, it's cool that I get to do all these things and the support that I've felt from fans and my friends and family has been kind of overwhelming, but uh, you have to step back and think a lot of, of all the things and people that had to be there to, to make all this happen. And um, there, there's a lot of pieces that go into it. Like I, I get all the, the glory, I guess, by doing the races. And ultimately, I'm the one that has to get out there and suffer. But um, there's a lot of pieces behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, when when things go right, it feels so good to like share that with those people that, that invested in you along the way. So, um, yeah, it was a great end of the season. And then it was vacation time after that, um, which was much needed mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, if, if you have listened to this whole thing, you can hear there was frustration, there was elation, there was, uh, anger, there was happiness, like all the above, all the emotions felt this we season. Laughed. We cried. Yeah. Yeah. We laughed. We cried. It was a novel. Or a movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um yeah uh, let's do a vacation episode at some point we'll, we'll, yeah yeah vacation wanna, was we're gonna fun pack you up with, with centro and, and mark scott and those guys we're gonna we're yeah gonna and woody that, that was a fun fun yeah, vacation much needed um we're, we're back at it now and, and buckled down in training um the the way i like to do off season is like uh do a lot of the things that you don't do in season so that's like go and walk around a city for 10 hours or for 10 10 miles and like explore it on foot or like go out to like some clubs and bars and um, travel around and don't run every day and don't even think about running. And by the end of it, just feel like so excited to get back to routine and so excited to like start grinding again. Um, that's how I like to start the season. Um, and it's easy to do that when you end on a high note, like if you end on a low note, like, or, or like you end injured or something, obviously you can't like goof off in the off season and like, do all those those vacation things but um when you're healthy and you end like on a positive note um after a long year like it was it, it was it was nice that's awesome yeah we're gonna be recapping that we're also <laughs> gonna probably dive deeper at least into the brussels 5k and maybe some others if you guys have some thoughts or suggestions for which ones you want to hear about in greater detail um i'm sure that we've got a bunch of other stories from your end on things that you know, couldn't make the main hour-long recap cut. We just wanted to get you guys all caught up on what Grant's season has looked like from his own perspective uh, over these last six months as we get back, as you're back in the States and you've got a microphone again and we can kind of power this thing up again. Uh, so, yeah, uh, not much else to add, Grant. I don't know if, if you've got any closing thoughts besides uh, the gratitude you just expressed, which I think is awesome. I've had like people come up to me, like I think I'm more primarily known as, as a co-host of this podcast than anything else at this point. People come up to me and just want me to tell you things, like good job. So on behalf of everyone who's asked me to do that, good job, man. Very, very, 
very stoked to be along for this ride. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been awesome to witness. So glad to hear that you're back in training and slowly, slowly starting the build up for what should be another really, really exciting year. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, a big, big, uh, big year again, um, ahead. So as it is every year, but yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm excited, man. Um, I, I'm excited to really hit it this fall and, and get back into racing, um, next calendar year. I don't, I don't think I'll race, uh, for the remainder of this calendar year, I'll probably start things up, uh, in 2023 proper. Um, but yeah, lots of, uh, lots of doing a lot of the same training that, that allowed me a great year this past year. And, um, you know, maybe stuff a little bit, a little bit harder training just to maybe, maybe put me over the edge to, to get some medals and, um, have another great year. So, um, I'm excited, man. It's, it's going to be a fun 2023, 2022 was, was great. Um, season wise, I guess 2022 still going, but, um, the 2022 season was, uh, you know, it was, it was fun. A, a movie as, as people would say. Um, but yeah, it doesn't get much better than that, man. 15. Yeah. Yeah. And that's awesome. And, uh, thank you all for listening this deep into the episode. We will be sure to come back at you, uh, before too long this time, uh, with some more recap stuff over the past six to eight months. Uh, yeah, but thank you guys for listening to our episode of the half step podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks guys for listening later. Yeah.